How much is enough? I don't know when I first heard that question, but it comes back to me every time I read stories like the story of the quails and the manna in the desert, or the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. How much is enough? I hear it in a child's voice, and I don't know where it came from. It could have been from a Sunday school class I taught years ago, or it could have been from camp. But I remember a, a young voice piping up and asking a very meaningful question. Most ministers know that children are much more likely to ask meaningful questions than adults are. Adults are more likely to say, why is the heat on in the church? Where the children are, to, are more likely to say, why should we give thanks? How much is enough? How do we answer that? Do we know how to answer that? I think we know how much is too much. And in fact, sometimes we celebrate too much. We celebrate extravagance especially when I'm cooking Thanksgiving dinner. I hate vegetable prep, so I'm always looking for new and exciting ways to prepare vegetables that I won't be bored by. So often there are four vegetables as well as potatoes on the plate. So our Thanksgiving tables very often are celebrations of extravagance, and we eat too much. That's okay. That's okay. Good thing is eating too much turkey just put you to sleep. So that's okay. But I think more often we look at what's going on in the world around us and we say, that's too much. Or we may wonder, as many people have been wondering in the past week after events in Las Vegas last weekend, how much is enough? How much is it going to take before there is some action? Some action, and most people speak in terms of, of gun control. And maybe we wonder as we look around the world, how much would be too much for God? Is God going to lose patience with us? The way God did back in, in Genesis, you know, in Genesis chapter 6, when what people were getting up to was too much. But before you go out and start building an ark, remember in Genesis 9, God promises never to do again what God did the last time God lost patience with humanity. How much is too much for God to take? I think very often when we send up our prayers and we wonder, how long, O oh Lord, won't you do something? The answer we get is, why don't you do something? I've made you able to do a lot. But we're wary of that kind of back and forth with God. But Moses, that's the way Moses and God talk to each other all the time. Moses had a relationship with God that no one else in his time could have. Moses could talk to God in his time as no one else could. We can, and maybe we should more often. So in our story from Exodus, the people are about one month out of Egypt, and already three times they have complained about God and Moses and demanded to be taken back to Egypt already. God spared them from the angel of death. God took them safely through the Sea of Reeds, and in fact, they got to stand and watch the army of the Egyptians get bogged down in the mud and then drown. When they were thirsty and could find no drinkable water, with God's help, Moses gave them cool, clear, sweet water. And yet they complained. 
They say better to die a slave in Egypt than to die along the road with Moses. And a little like children, you know, when something happens and it's the end of the world, it's the worst thing that could ever have happened. And they're not saying, are we there yet? But they are saying, we want to go home. And so when they're hungry, they remember they had lots of food in Egypt. Oh, it was wonderful. There were pots of meat and piles of bread to dip in those pots of meat. And we had it so good back in Egypt. We want to go home. So God responds. God sends them food every day. Quails at night. Now, Quail is a guess, an English guess word. We don't really know what kind of birds they, these were, but the Egyptians used to catch small birds when they came flying in thick in the evening just by throwing nets in the air. So maybe that's how the Israelites caught those little birds. But they had meat to eat around their fires every night. And then in the morning, there was this stuff on the ground that looked an awful lot like the sappy stuff that falls and crystallizes from tamarind trees. So maybe they'd seen that back in Egypt, but they picked it up and it was different. It was something else. And so they said, mana, which means, what's this? And they took it home. And they found that no matter how much they gathered, there was always enough. And so each day, they took enough to meet the day's needs. What did it taste like? It says, wafers made with honey. And people have still wondered over the centuries what that tasted like. And some of the old rabbis said, well, the manna tasted like whatever your favorite food was. Wouldn't that be nice? But it didn't keep overnight, except on Friday night. And on Friday, they were supposed to gather double so they wouldn't have to go out and gather on Saturday. Some of them did, though, and they found no manna. So God gave them salvation, freedom from slavery, deliverance from death. God gave them sweet water to drink, and God gave them quails at night and bread in the morning, and God gave them a day off, which they had never had in their lives a day off. And yes, God put them to work the other days because they had been bricklayers and cargo carriers and house cleaners and all of those things for generations and they had to learn how to catch birds and gather food from the ground. But God also gave them a day of rest, something completely new. And yet it wasn't long before they were complaining. Same food every night, same food every morning. Can't we have a little variety, Moses? <laughs> Can't we have some choice? Let's have some vegetables, they said, in the desert. It still wasn't enough. But let's be fair to them. And remember this all through the first books of the Old Testament. These are people who are learning about their God. Their people had been in Egypt for 430 years, and they'd pretty much forgotten 
their god, but they were very familiar with all the gods of Egypt. And so they were learning how to live as people who had this one god. They were people of this god, their god. And that made them distinct in the world and different from their neighbors. And so they had to learn how to live together as a new kind of people. Chapter 16 is the first time they are called a congregation. So they're coming together as one, but it's hard to learn to trust and obey when you don't know this God very well. And who's Moses anyway? Is this Moses the man their grandparents talked about who was born one of them and became Pharaoh's adopted nephew and grew up a prince of Egypt and then at the age of 40 he murdered a man, an Egyptian, and then he disappeared for 40 more years. So is this the person who's supposed to lead them? And why does he speak through his brother most of the time? Why won't he even face us and talk to us. So, so they were struggling. So it was hard for them to believe there was enough for them to keep on following. But they did, even though it took 40 more years. There's a wonderful song that faithful Jewish families sing today. They've sung it for centuries at the Seder meal at Passover. And it's called Dayenu. And the word dainu means that would have been enough. And the song relates through 15 verses all the things that God has done for the people, all of the wonderful things that God has given. And each of them would have been enough, dainu, except that God went on to do more. And so in the middle of the song, the verse is, if God had provided for them in the desert for 40 years and had not given them the manna, it would have been enough. If God had, not, had given them the manna but had not given them the Sabbath, it would have been enough. If God had given them the Sabbath but not taken them to Sinai, it would have been enough. Dainu. So it seems with God, there's never enough to give us to do for us and for this world, to will and envision and plan for us. There is never enough. God never stops giving. Dainu. At Thanksgiving, when we fill our tables with food, and I hope we surround our tables with people we know and love, and maybe a few strangers, people we're just getting to know, or we decorate our church, we fill our church with signs of the abundance of the earth. And so that suggests to us that abundance is part of what's enough. But you know, I was thinking about how our Thanksgiving celebration is pretty much, well, it's pretty much all about food, isn't it? It's all about food, the stuff we eat, the stuff that comes from the ground and the air and, and, and the sea and the labors of farmers. and and the things that we can make and cook ourselves, even maybe you have a, a garden or a planter or a window box. Maybe you've gone out harvesting apples for your family. Or maybe you will have a farm fresh turkey, not a frozen one from Loblaws. But 
when you think about it, how many of us have actually seen a harvest in process recently? How many of us have taken part in a harvest recently? How many of us have been on a farm recently? Or maybe we've been to a farmer's market. But we know, and our kids sure know when they sit at the table with us, where food comes from. And it comes from Loblaws and Metro and the stove and the fridge, right? It's difficult for us to impress upon our children that God provides food for us because the line between us and the source is broken so many ways. There are so many hands, there are so many machines, there are so many trucks, there are so many processes before we even take our food home. And so the line between us and the one we believe is our provider is broken in many ways. So how can we honestly give thanks at Harvest Thanksgiving in 2017? How can we be honest about it? First of all, I think we recognize, and we shouldn't recognize this with guilt, we should recognize that we have more than enough. And maybe with a little guilt we should admit that enough for us means having so much that we have choice and can enjoy variety. And so we assume that enough is not simply what will meet our needs, but will delight us. But we have a privileged place in this world with easy access to good food and the ability to prepare it in ways that satisfy and, and delight us and, and that we can share with one another. And we should be thankful for that. Thankful that we can buy or grow and bake and broil and boil and mix and share all that we can. But privilege calls for gratitude and gratitude reminds us of our responsibility when we give thanks that we have enough to share that we can share. And maybe the, we need to draw a new line, not pretend that there is a straight line between the dinner roll in your hand and God in heaven, but to redraw the line between us and what is on our table and in our chancel so that we recognize within this creation, what we call God's creation, and on this good earth, there is still enough for all. And we are a part of that all. We are a part of that creation. So maybe when we are most aware of the fruits of the earth and the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea and the, and the skilled hands that prepare delightful food, that we are a part of it. We don't stand apart from creation. We don't stand apart from the things we recognize and that inspire our thanksgiving. We are part of it. Even with that turkey on the table. We were not there when it was alive, but its life is the life we share with all living things in the world. Can we recognize that and recognize that we are part of something bigger than we can see 
or imagine. I think if we can allow ourselves even a moment of that awe, all we can say is, thank you. Thanks be to God. You know, last Sunday we heard the secret and most sacred name of God. God revealed it to Moses at the burning bush. Yahweh, I will be who I will be. And that is God's most sacred name. Faithful Jews today will still not speak it or write it out because it is the most sacred name of God. I will be who I will be. But that's a pretty slippery name when you think of it. We want a God we can know and kind of reach out and hold on to. So along the way, the people coined other names for God that described God's relationship with them and how God was for them and how they came to know God. And one of those names that we find in Genesis and Exodus and Numbers is Shaddai. Not shadow, Shaddai. El Shaddai. And we're not absolutely certain what Shaddai means. So often in the Bible it's translated God Almighty. But it, 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 it could mean God of the mountain, which is also appropriate to Exodus. It could also mean God of the breasts. It's an image of God nourishing people like a mother nurses her children. But the translation I like the best is a modern translation, and it's the God who is enough. The God who is enough. Can we give thanks today, as people did of old, as they discovered more and more of who God was and how God was with them, that we can give thanks to God, that God is our God, and we are God's people, and our God is enough. We need worship nothing else. We need value no one or no thing higher. And all of the things that we give thanks for, the things we give thanks for today, we know as we look at the world around us, we could lose them like that. But the one thing that remains is that God is our God, and we are God's people. Thanks be to God.